0: that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, (coughs) exhausted. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) They were exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas of the Twelve was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me but this is your hour when darkness reigns. The word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we ask that you leave no part of our lives untouched, We have entered into this place today to sing to you, to sing of you, to hear from you, to connect with you. Receive our worship, O God. Receive these gifts which we've presented. May we hear your voice through your scripture. May we attune our hearts to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm thinking it must have been a huge disappointment to Jesus. And maybe that's not quite the right word, disappointment, for all that was going on in his inner life in those moments, in those days there in Jerusalem. Just moments and steps away from the horrors of the cross. Maybe it was just utterly lonely for him. Or maybe abandoned is the word I'm looking for. Luke, the gospel writer, is fairly clinical, I think, in in presenting this moment in the garden to us. He says that he was in anguish the gospel of Matthew however tells of the same tragic events in, in the garden of Gethsemane and Matthew uses two words to describe that inner life of Jesus Matthew says and this is how those two words have been translated into English in various translations grieved and agitated or anguish and dismay, distress and anguish, depressed and confused. Jesus was hurting. It was dark. Mark's gospel is even perhaps more descriptive. Mark says that horror came over him. A sudden fear came over him. It is a a dark time for Jesus, we might expect a a much more confident, strong, Christ-like figure to power through this time in the garden, this time of, of inner turmoil, as Jesus prepares to lay down his life for the sins of the world, why isn't he so much stronger in that moment? We're so accustomed, aren't we, to hero-like figures and in all their fictional glory and bravado shaping our expectations of what it would be like to face down the darkness, show no weakness we might think he he should have had. Be strong, Jesus. Be certain. You can do it as they line the streets. we might expect Jesus to lead the way when it comes to that courage and inner strength, that sense of resilience. What's going on in this text today? Gethsemane, this this image that Jesus is not much of a hero here. He's so very human. Distressed. Anguished. Here's the image from the Bible of my childhood. Anybody recognize that picture? Jesus in the garden. It seems like almost, not quite. That's not what I'm reading in Luke's gospel, or any of the gospels for that matter. Jesus at prayer, concerned, but handling it all for the most part. Steady, pastoral, faithful, together. He is, after all, the Son of God, deity on earth. This shouldn't be an issue for him. Get through this, power on through. But that's not exactly the picture the Gospels paint for us. Even Luke, as you heard, said that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This seems more to me like quiet time on the the annual men's retreat. (laughs) Spend five minutes on your own, guys. (laughs) Where's the anguish? Where's that horror that came over him? There's even a sense of radiance in this picture. But here, in this one, much more... Picasso, or Chagall, or Van Gogh, maybe even. Much more contorted, anguish, More, well, like us, I believe. And this is probably closer to the, the view, to the inner life that the Gospels give to us. This is more the Jesus in the garden all those years ago, bowed down, caught in the shadows, alone. It's Gethsemane. This Aramaic word that simply means to be pressed, it speaks to how they would press olives there in that garden. Two huge slabs of rock where crushed olives would be placed between them and then pressed and crushed. The oil would run out of the olives and Down the rock and into clay jars where it would be collected. We can't help but think of Jesus crushed, weighed down, pressed, his blood flowing down the cross. Isaiah prophesied much of that so many years before. In fact, here's our unison reading for the day. Join me in this, will you? From Isaiah 53. Certainly, it's a far cry from the Jesus of Palm Sunday. Gone, of course, are the the hopeful crowds singing his praises. Gone are those kingly palms and the possible promise of a peaceable kingdom all swept away in this conspiracy of kings and, and priests and armies and denial and fear in a dark night of the soul. You know, we probably should have focused more on, on Palm Sunday, on those regal songs, on the triumph of Christ the King. We did sing of that, thankfully. Our sweet hosannas rang out in this place. I even put the palms on the communion table this morning. Didn't know what to do with them between services. They were on the other pulpit. I thought, well, what do I do with them? Well, I'll stick them on there. the palms and the cup seemingly go together today. We should have focused maybe on all of that, swayed with the palms, sensing a a gentle conviction that God is on the move here, that Jesus is the real king, the the great I am. He is the very vision and the, the hope of Israel. And it all is well with our souls. We should have that Palm Sunday sensation. You know, palms are important. You know, today is a, an acclamation. It's a check between services. It's Tiger walking up the 18th. <laughs> and the patrons you know, calling out with a roar at Augusta. It's Tony Finau, that... Salt Lake native walking alongside of him, not winning apparently, <laughs> but he's there at Augusta. It's the Jazz taking on the Rockets, and they can do it. They can do it, right? They'll do it. It's an acclamation. It's all going to to work out. Palm Sunday is the day that we start to think big things about Jesus. That he will win. And so we begin to pray things like, I long to live in the city where you sit on the throne. Establish your kingdom, Lord, so your people can live in peace. We pray, Jesus, I bow to you. I sing your praises until your kingdom comes and forevermore. We we love that sort of giving ourselves over into that victory that is ours in Christ. And so Palm Sunday comes to us as a, an all-in type of day, a sort of faith. We're on those streets, and, and we put our palm branches and our garments down, and we, we call out, he's going to win. It's all going to work. Once, in, it was in my uh, second year of seminary, my field ed supervisor in this little inner city church that I was an intern for, He instructed me to find the palms for Palm Sunday. It was March in Boston. (laughs) The socks they were still in Florida. Larry Bird, you see how old I am, Larry Bird was in the garden, sinking threes. (laughs) And I was scrambling. I I called every florist in Boston, I think, worried. I thought, this is big. I've got to figure this out. I thought it must be some sort of a pastoral test. (laughs) You know, give give the young guy, you know, I was young once, (laughs) give this young guy an impossible job and see how he handles it. It's probably in an old eval somewhere. Steve exhibited a high level of anxiety (laughs) when confronted with a difficult pastoral situation you know, there's no palm trees in Massachusetts. <laughs> Not a one. Maybe somebody's apartment. But, you know, I felt like those disciples, when instructed to go and to secure the young donkey, the instructions, you remember, just tell the owner, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, who would do that, right? <laughs> so finally, I, I walked into a, a flower shop that has some ferns, which, if you didn't care too much or you didn't look too close, they might be in the palm family. <laughs> so I went up to the shop owner and I said, The Lord has need of these. <laughs> I didn't really say that, but I bought them. <laughs> and they must have worked, because I didn't flunk field ed. <laughs> But we realize that these palms, they're they're important, aren't they? They are the branches of royalty. They are the the red carpet spread before the king. And in Jesus' case, the palms are, are connected to those shouts, that shout of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. These ancient words that they would ring out for for kings. Except in Jesus' case, it's it's very related to his, his name, which you remember when he was born, Joseph was instructed to name him Jesus because it means God saves. And so in a way, they were on those streets of that day. They were calling out that this is the one who saves us praying for God to save them. Also a bit of a a call out like God save the queen as well. So probably some of both. The psalms say who Jesus really is. He really is our savior and God save him. So is such a prayer, such an acclamation of what God is doing and has done. For us, saving us, saving us to the highest. Hosanna in the highest, which means to to the very ends of the earth and to the highest heaven, far and wide. Hosanna in the highest, saving you and saving me. We wave those palms on high and we lay them before him. and, And it says, this is where I have found my life. This is the one in whom I trust. It is an acclamation of of Christ's saving work on our behalf. Some years later, Augustine was so convinced of of all of this that he would say this about God's saving action in Christ. He would say, our Lord came down from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger. The way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst must have been so confusing to those who were following Jesus that day through those sun-drenched streets of Jerusalem. For they entered into what seemed to be a very dark and sorrowful place when they reached the garden. And we read there that the disciples, and the disciples followed him, waiting, I suspect, for that great saving action to take place. They wanted to be there for that, but what came next was this pure horror. (laughs) Horror for them, but even more so for him. In anguish, Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, not my will. I don't think we're to interpret this moment, as some writers have said, as a fatalistic sigh, a resignation on Jesus' part. It's not a, oh well, I guess this is going to happen anyway, so your will be done. He wasn't resigning. He was simply telling the truth, if possible, take this away from me, this cup. But then he prayed with just as much force and just as much conviction, the last part of that line, nevertheless, the main thing I want, God, is what you want. Yes, I want what you want for my life. What is this cup that he talks about that he would dearly love to have taken away if there's some other way, if if at all possible? In biblical language, it's this cup of suffering, this cup of God's judgment, God's punishment on sin, the sin of the world. It's a reference to the ransom that Jesus says he came to pay. You remember that line? What he says to his disciple that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his calling, to, to take up that ransom cup, to suffer on our behalf. But now, out here in the garden, Jesus seems to, to waver a little bit under the, the press of it all, the, the crushing weight of it all. Calvin would write, much many years later, that the force and the onset of grief wrung a cry from him on the instant, which he at once went on to correct. He had to face the reality of what he was sent to do, this idea, this action of redemptive suffering. And it was so dark, and the weight was so heavy to bear the sin of us all, to bear the horror of of God's judgments on humanity nevertheless Jesus said yes to that reality to his reality he quickly consents and and does say yes making it conceivable that you and I perhaps we also can consent to being followers of Christ when we find ourselves in, in places of of anguish where it it's dark. We're, we're not quite sure about things. Wishing it were otherwise. We can move forward into our own realities and say, nevertheless, thy will be done. Madeline Lengel, her words track with my own thoughts on, on this concept. She once wrote these words. That someone has altered the script. My lines have been changed. I thought I was writing this play. Did Jesus feel that to some degree? If permissible, if possible, take this away from me, this cup. Yet it's hardly ever that way, is it? The script is almost always altered. John Ortberg writes of this idea about saying yes to reality that Jesus shows to us. This is a great quote. That the reality of this world is that I was born into someone else's kingdom. My life came to me as a gift I did not choose. It is suspended from a slender thread that I did not weave and cannot on my own sustain. Many are the plans in a human heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So I will resign as master of the board. I crown another to be master, to be Lord of my life. Nevertheless, we say yes to the Lord. Two of that Reality that we're called into, that we're a part of, to live with a healthy and believing, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will. Jesus gave us almost this permission to approach life like that. Not resignation so much as a wanting to be able to, to do that which God wants us to do. That it's okay, Jesus says. To say yes to reality. It's almost a new way to to wave our palms, isn't it? It's not just acclamation of, of who God is in Christ, but it's acclamation of our own lives in Christ. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. I wonder if you've been watching or reading about these. Three churches down in Louisiana been torched in the last couple of weeks. Uh, arson. So tragic. Uh, you just can imagine what that must feel like to a congregation, uh, what it would be like in, you know, in our congregation. Uh, dark, an agonizing cup to drink. There's a picture of one of the churches in Louisiana Last Sunday, when they met in, I think, a Masonic hall, here's what one of the pastors said. He said, they burned down a building, but they didn't burn down our spirit. That's a nevertheless, isn't it? One woman in one of the other congregations said this. She said, it isn't right. Something isn't right, but God has the last word where does a response like that come from? Where's the anger? Where's the let justice be served? So nevertheless, she goes on and says, we're going to keep on keeping on. It was heartbreaking. I, I, I cried so much, she said, already when they called to let me know that our church had now burned. I didn't know what else to do. I just said, Lord, you're in control. The New York Times, in their article on this whole episode, had these words, Preaching from a white, windowless room in the low-slung Masonic Lodge in Opelousas, Mr. Richard, one of the pastors, said that he wanted to deliver a message to whoever was behind the fires. He had an usher place an empty chair next next to his brown lectern a seat for someone he called Mr. Firestarter. We forgive you, Mr. Firestarter, Mr. Richards started, his voice rising and straining with each sentence. We love you, Mr. Firestarter. We thank you because you didn't burn up our children. Our prayer for you, Mr. Firestarter, is that you meet our Savior. That's a nevertheless. So nevertheless, I hope I would be able to say in similar circumstances, when life rises up and it seems dark and foreboding and anguishing, to say nevertheless, not my will but thy will. It's never easy to live into the will of God. It's so often found to be in the press of life that we might think that Once we know that we're on God's side, once we're standing on that glorious Jerusalem boulevard shouting praise, we think, all will be well, we're going to (laughs) win. But no. Here in Louisiana, and here in the life of Jesus, we see God's will seems to lead through the darkest places, the hardest of times, and there's this incredible anguish at times a cup to be to drink a cup of suffering a cup of hardship one writer once said it like this that the son of god suffered de- unto death not that we might not suffer but that our sufferings might be like his not that we might not suffer but our sufferings might be like his Luke says, and so they followed him into the garden. They had no idea. <laughs> Expecting one thing, discovered something something else. Maybe there's something for followers of Jesus to learn among the, fo- among the olive trees, on that hard stone of the olive press, how to suffer, how to grieve, how to experience sorrow, how to pray in all times, how to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. How to say yes to the reality of our lives. That Jesus consents and says yes. It it makes it conceivable that we too will be able to say yes too that our sufferings might be like his. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we are in awe of you because we know that life can be so challenging that the cups that we each are handed and are asked to drink are are not easy. Give us the, the courage, the willingness to will your will. Well, we pray as we prepare for the table this morning that we might bring all of who we are to it, knowing that you are the God of comfort and strength. Meet us there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: As we